Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Back in Genesis, guys, in your minds, go Genesis chapter 12 through 18. In your minds, we were hanging out with Abraham. You guys remember Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. We were hanging out with him. And you go, Ben, what's the point? Well, it was it was basically, this was known as the story of Abraham, okay? And out of the blue, in chapter 19, guys, the scene changed, and we were introduced to Lot. Now, we had heard a little bit about Lot, but they gave him a, a full chapter, right? This is called the Lot narrative. And for one chapter, we learned all about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and a pillar of salt and the whole nine yards. I mean, this was like just, okay? And then as fast as Lot came, we went back to Abraham. It was really weird. It was really weird in, in the text. And likewise, guys, we started the, the Joseph story two weeks ago. And you recall, we learned a lot about his life as a young teenager. If you recall Joseph at 17, can you imagine? remember when you were 17? <laughs> that was a long time for me. But anyways, uh, Joseph at 17, guys, the first thing we see is he brings a bad report to dad. Okay, and I don't know if he was a tattletale or he was just, God was already grooming him for leadership. But nonetheless, it's an evil report. His brothers start to really not like him. Dad rewards him with a tunic or a coat of many colors. I don't know if Joseph was walking around like, hey, look at me in this coat, you know, I mean, all this, because it was a symbol of authority. It was like, dad, dad, trust me, I am promoted. And so here's the 17-year-old boy with a coat of many colors. And uh, during this time, Joseph has a couple of dreams. If you recall, let me just go through them real quick. Let me just kind of go through the dreams. In Genesis 37, 6 and 7, it says, And he said to them, Please, this dream which I have dreamed, there we were binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheave arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheaves all stood around and bowed to my sheaf. That was the first dream. So he goes to his brothers. He's like, hey, dudes, check this out. I had this crazy dream, and I didn't eat pizza last night. So it's real. It must be from God. And he goes, what is it? There we were in the field, and my sheep stood up, and yours bowed down. Well, how would you feel? The brothers was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, bro, what are you talking about we bowed down to you? You're the baby. If anything else, we're not going to bow down to you. We're going to boot you. Come on, Joseph, you and your coat of many colors. But that's the first dream. But then he has another dream, guys. If you look at verse 9, he says, and he still dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers, and he said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. My dad was like, say what? I mean, now, it's one thing to be, you know, taunting your brothers, but me and your mother are involved in this? The sun and the moon and bowing down? Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, here's what we do know. We know that these dreams, guys, came from God. There's no question. God was preparing Joseph, and certainly the assurance that one day he would rule helped keep Joseph faithful during those years of testing in Egypt. So we know that God gave him a dream, and I'll never forget my dream, my dream that was reoccurring, and I've told you this dream a thousand times. I said, the dream that I dreamt, I was in my front yard, I was on a truck, don't ask me why it's a truck, but 
but I was on this truck. The bed is down, and I'm trying to get people into the truck. I'm trying to, and I didn't know this is the career, this is the calling that God would have for my life to be a pastor slash evangelist. That's, this was the dream. I'll never forget it. Lord, what does that dream mean? He says, I want to use you to get people into the kingdom. Now, God gets people in the kingdom. He just uses us as instruments. Do you realize that? He uses us. All flawed and messed up. And he takes us and he says, man, I want to use you to bring people into the kingdom. How do we do that? How do we do it, church? By the way we live. See, it's one thing to say. It's one thing. Let me tell you about Jesus, bro. But then I live like I don't believe there's a God. What is, what's going to speak louder? My words or my action? My action. So by the way we live. Now, there's a lot of people right now, Josh, that would say, man, I would die for Jesus. And I'd say... Amen. But what I want to hear is I want to live for Jesus every single day. That's what I want to do. And I know it's hard. Adam, it's hard. It's hard to get up and go, man, I'm going to live for Jesus. And because we're going to get in the flesh and somebody rubs us the wrong way and we get mad and we get angry. I'll show you. But we want to live for Jesus. Guys, we want to live for Jesus. And so one of the things we noticed in the dreams that I found interesting is that the first dream actually had an earthly setting, right? The sheaves. But the second dream was a heavenly setting. Let's talk about the moon, the stars, the sun. You're like, what does that mean? I was just thinking, think about this, guys. I wonder if this dream suggests that the earthly setting were Abraham's earthly children, the Jewish people. And then the heavenly setting was, was us, the heavenly seed. The ones that would come spiritually, right? Because we do say, Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. That's us, right? We call him Father because we're spiritually the descendant, descendants of Abraham. I thought, wow. Guess what? The Bible says everybody was happy that Joseph. No, 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 no. They were not happy. His brothers were steamed so much so. Do you guys remember what they did? They wanted to kill him and they threw him into a pit. And they're like, oh, just put him in a pit and we'll think of something. And then they sat down and had lunch. They all opened their Lunchables, right? They all opened their lunch. They said, mm, while Joseph is going, please, please, please. The Bible says that he had anguish in his soul. He's crying out, please, guys, don't do this. Come on. Come on, I love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can have the coat. I don't know what he said, but I do know this. They sold them to the Midianites coming across. And we read in verse 36, now the Midianites sold him, who, Joseph, to Egypt, to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, to the captain of God. That's, what, that's the last verse we left last week. That's it. So I'm thinking the next verse is going to go, and we're going to talk about Joseph again. Joseph in Potiphar's house. Guess what? It changes. So we turn the page expecting to read about Joseph, and we get another break in the story. And of course, beginning in chapter 39, right, we continue to follow the life of Joseph. So there's a whole chapter. And, I, and, and, and when I started looking at this, I kept asking, God, what is it? Why did you put this in here? Well, I don't, I'm not sure why all of a sudden we're going to talk about his brother Judah. 
we were on track with Joseph. Joseph's in, he, where, where do we, where's Joseph, guys? He's in Egypt. He's been sold to Potiphar. Okay? So, um, just like the Lot narrative in chapter 19, we now have the Judah narrative in chapter 38. I'm not sure why they put both the Lot story and the Judah story right in the middle of another story. Right? Have you ever been telling a story and then changed your mind and told another story in the middle of the story? Oh, let me tell you this story. Blah, blah, blah. And this is what was, oh, by the way, and over here, and you go off to a holy doom, you go, what does this story have to do with this? And you go, oh, nothing, but I just remembered. Anybody tell that story like that? Yep. Way to go tall. You're, you, you know exactly what he's talking about. This is what's happening right here. But I know that there's quite a bit of application for us guys. Quite a bit. So, we're going to cover the whole chapter, so we better get going, okay? Better get going. It says in Genesis 38.1, and it came to pass, okay, at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited an Adulamite whose name was Hira. Okay, so here's what we got to do. We got to put in our mindset, we got to say goodbye to Joseph, and we're going to talk about Judah. So it starts off with Judah, okay? So what does Judah do? Judah, we know, is a brother of Joseph. We know that Jesus is going to come from the tribe of Judah. But right now, this is an individual whom we're talking about. Okay? This is Judah. Everybody say Judah. Okay, let's say it again. Those watching watching at home, say Judah. Okay? Okay, I can't hear you. I'm just saying. Okay, so <laughs> let me give you a little bit of background. Okay? Let me give you background. Judah, he goes about 15 miles northwest of Hebron to see Hira. Hira's his friend. Okay, so he's going to go hang out with his bud, okay? It, it kind of implies that he was a shepherd right there in Adullam. So he's going to go, hey, I'm going to go check on the sheep. I've got to, I'm going to go see what's going on, right? Is my friend Hiram. Now, just a quick thought. If you're taking notes, I believe that I think part of the reason that they put this story in is it seems like Judah, what, the, what they're trying to do is contrast to Joseph. You go, what do you mean? Although Joseph was young, he was naive, he was pure before God. How do you know? Because next week, we're going to see that Mrs. Potiphar said, hubba, hubba. And she wanted to lie with Joseph. And Joseph said, no, 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 no. You know what he says? I love this. How can I sin against God and do this to my master? So so listen, put yourself in Joseph's sandals for just a moment, okay? Here you are in the house. You're, you, you've been sold. You've got a cushy job. And Mrs. Potiphar, she's not a bad-looking woman. What is it going to hurt? Who cares? But he doesn't. He maintains his integrity. And he says, how can I sin against God? So I think, guys, that, that Judah and Joseph are contrasted. Because Judah tonight is going to be more a picture of the flesh when we give into the flesh. And so we really got to grasp this. So what did Judah do? Well, check it out, guys. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and he went in to her. Okay? So right off the bat, you can hear the whoop, whoop, whoop. You can hear the warning signs. Why? Judah, what are you doing? 
Judah, what are you doing? Why? Because the first thing he does is he marries a Canaanite woman. The Bible tells us, guys, don't be unequally yoked. Don't be unequally, oh, but he's so cute. Does he know Jesus? No, but he's so cute. Oh, I want to just bury him. I just want to. But does he know the Lord? Is he going to lay down his life for you? Oh, but you don't understand. We've been together for 18 years. No, don't be unequally yoked. That's just, here's the thing. Okay, marriages, marriages here. If you're married, you guys need to love Jesus more than you love each other. You go, amen. You have to love Jesus more. What's going to keep you from running off with another woman or another man? I love Jesus more than anything. Okay? If you're, if you're, look, I got young one. If you're, if you're dating, you're going to start dating soon? He's got to love Jesus. She's got to love Jesus. She's got to, guys. I'm telling you. Trust me. The thing that you're attracted to in her is Jesus. That's the thing. That's the thing. Well, Judah says, I ain't interested in that. He's married to Canaan. He's violating, guys, the standing principle here of the covenant family. Why? Because later on in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, the law, guys, it forbade intermarriage with the Canaanites. So they actually made it a law. So Judah, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Do you ever feel like Judah sometimes? Do you ever feel like Judah? You're just like, what am I doing? Help me with this phrase. I know better. What? But I know, I know what God's word says, but I wonder if Judah's that way. Aren't you grateful and thankful for God's grace? Because I've done that. Oh, God. So first of all, we see Judah. He disobeys the Lord, and he marries a form. How are they going to get along? How are they going to raise the kids? How, how are they going to do that? She's a Canaanite. You guys know all about Canaan. I mean, they, they were evil. They were just, they were messed up, man. How are we going to raise the kids? Oh, we should, oh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of my father Jacob, and, and so forth, right? And it's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Let's take them and let's raise them in the ways of the world. And guys, there's always that. And this is what's going on right here. Well, guess what? They have three boys. Check it out. Verse five, 3. So she conceived and bore a son. And he called his name Ur. Okay? And she conceived again and bore a son. And she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah or Shelah. He was at Chazib when she bore him. Okay. Judah, what are you doing? You are a covenant family. You belong to the Lord. Dude, Judah, what are you doing? I'm going to marry this girl. She was beautiful. She was pretty. She was pretty. Well, now he marries her. Now they have three sons, right? So what do they name their sons? They named their sons Ur, or E-R. I don't know if you want to call him E-R. But nonetheless, it's Ur, and his name means wicked or wild. How many of you would like to name your kid wicked? Oh, my gosh, look at this. Oh, isn't he so cute? No, he looks wicked. That's what we should name him. (laughs) You know, it's like, no, no. But that's what they name him. They name him wicked. Baby, 
darling, sweetie, what do you want to name him? He looks wicked. I think we'll name him Wicked. And then they have another baby, and his name is Onan. Guess what his name means? His name means strong, vigor, or trouble. Right? Do you ever tell you, you ever walked in this room and they said, oh, here comes trouble. That's, that's his name. Oh, here comes trouble. Here, here he comes. Onan. And then the last one is Shayla. You can call him Sheila. Sheila sounds more like a girl's name, but we'll call him Shayla. And his name means request or petition. Petition. So she has these boys. He's broken God's covenant. He's, he's married a Canaanite woman. He's not supposed to marry a Canaanite woman. He, he left his bro. Listen, he left his bros. Now his bros, I mean, you know, they just, you know, what they do to Joseph. I mean, but, but still they were a community. You guys with me? Yes or no? Yes. He was, they were a community. Okay. They were still, trying to follow the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, but he'd, le- he'd left the community, and this is where we find ourselves in trouble. When we get away from God's people and we find ourselves alone, this is where we find a lot of trouble. Oh, well, I'm, I'm okay. Well, have you been to church? I haven't been to church. I haven't been to church. I haven't been to church in a long time. And, and, and we find ourselves away from a community that God has brought us to, and we can find ourselves in trouble. That's what he did. That's what he did. So he has three kids. He has three kids. But the place I find interesting, guys, is, is, uh, Chizib. Chizib, right? Not Cheez-Its. Chizib, okay? And this actually means deceitful or lying. So she has these places in a place that's deceitful and lying. So I don't think it's starting off real good. It's not starting off real good for any of them. So the boys grow up. You guys with me? Boys are growing up. And in verse 6, it says, Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Tamar. Okay? So the boys are starting to grow up. Say, hey, it's about time you get married. I think we should find a wife for you. And here comes Tamar. And she bats her eyelashes, and she's pretty. And okay, she'll do. All right. What's your name? Tamar. You know what her name means? Her name means palm tree. Palm tree. So, so here's this beautiful girl. Still Canaanite. You guys with me? Because we're, we're in the land of Canaan. And he's going to set up a marriage. Now, remember, this was customary, uh, basically for the, to, for the patriarchal culture that the father chooses a bride for his son. A father chooses his bride for his son. So he's going, okay, this is what I've got to do. I have to find you a wife. And you go, dad, not those girls, not those ones, ew. No, it wasn't even like that. You just, This is the girl. So he does that. He does that, right? And it says, okay, verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Pause for dramatic music. Right? Because this is like, what? What? This is in the Bible. You go, okay, Ben, help me out here. What does it mean? Okay, so, so it says he was wicked. That means evil, evil. You go, well, what did he do that God would kill him? Well, I'm not sure what evilness he did, but here's what we do know. 
that he died as a result. We can speculate, but we really, we really don't know. Um, and, and so when I get to a place like this, I go, I don't know what this means. I go to the commentaries, and Pastor Skip wrote this. Pastor Kip, Skip Heitzig wrote, In Judah's day, the nation of Israel was still limited to 12 men and their families. To pollute the nation so directly was apparently an offense to God, and he wasn't willing that he wasn't willing to tolerate, end quote. That's what Skip said. So I thought, okay. So you go, so Ben, what did he do? What did he do? Um, I don't know. But here's what we got to do, guys. When the Bible is silent, we must be silent. Okay? All we know is Ur died. He died. He did wicked in the sight of the Lord, and God's like, "Mm mm-mm. So what is Judah do? Well, first of all, mom and dad, they lost a son. And it says, so Judah, look at verse 8, says to Onan... Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. That's a weird request. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass that when he went into his brother's wife, that he omitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. Everybody say, wow. Because you don't know what's happening here, Okay. You go, there's a lot happening here. It's like, what? Okay, so if you're taking notes, this is known as the Liverite marriage. The Liverite marriage, okay? It's the marriage of a widow to the brother of her deceased husband, okay? And it was practiced and later incorporated in the law of Moses, okay? You go, so how... Did it work? Well, let me go, let me take you back to where they first incorporated in the book of Deuteronomy. Let me show you where it finally came into play. Deuteronomy chapter 25, listen to this. Picking it up in verse 5, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation so you get a better understanding. It says, if two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son, his widow may not be married to anyone from outside the family. Josh, you have a brother, right? Is he older? Younger. He's younger. Oh, listen, listen, listen. Okay? Instead, her husband's brother should marry her. This is what the, this is what the New Living Translation is. Have intercourse with her to fulfill the duties of the brother-in-law. The first son bears to him. It's considered the son of the dead brother so that his name will not be forgotten in Israel. But if the man refuses to marry his brother's widow, like he's like, "Mm," she must go to the town gate and say to the elders assembled there, my husband's brother refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He refuses to fulfill the duties duties of the brother-in-law by marrying me. The elders of the town will then summon uh, him and talk with him. If he still refuses, say, have you seen her? Mm." Mm, I'm not going to do that. He doesn't want to marry her. The widow must walk over to him in the presence of the elders. Check this out. Pull his sandal from his foot and spit in his face. Then she must declare, this is what happens to the man who refuses to provide his brother with children. 
Ever afterward, in Israel, his family will be referred to as the family of the man whose sandal was pulled off. <laughs> so, so, okay. So when I first learned about this, right, I used to tease my wife. I used to say, now, baby, listen, we have two girls. I need a son. And if something were to happen to me, you're going to have to marry my brother. And she looked at me, she's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Now, I love my brothers, but, you know, you got to understand at the time, I mean, it's just, I mean, think about it. Think about it, right? You're like, no, no, this was the law. So dad's going, hey, Josh is dead. Amanda, the second one, you you got to have an offspring, you got to have a son. Carry on Josh's name. You guys understand how it is, right? Aren't you glad we live in a culture where that's not anymore? I mean, that's like, wow, wow. You have a son. You're okay. You could die. (laughs) Tiffany, I know you're watching. He could die. You're okay. He had a son. Okay. But if he didn't, this is what's going on. I'm glad we're under under grace and not the law. I'm so glad. So that's what's happening. Dad says, hey, you got to, dude, you got to fulfill your duties. Well, the second thing we see going on here, guys, is Onan, he refuses to raise up an offspring. He looks at her and goes, okay, well, I don't mind, but I don't, I don't want to have a baby because then everything that's supposed to be mine is going to go to him. Do you see selfishness in that? Listen, if I have a little baby, he's going to be, he's going to, he's going to raise him up. He's going to be, <sighs> as a matter of fact, guys, Onan's actions Guys, we're also an offense against his brother. See, culturally, they would be viewed as resulting in the disappearance of Ur's name. In other words, he didn't exist. So for him to go, man, I like my brother and all, but I'm not going to do this, it'd be like, man, this dude never existed. This is culturally what's going on. So what did Onan do? As a result, guys, As a result, Onan wanted gratification of sex without the responsibility of rearing up children in the name of his brother. That's why he says, and he emitted on the ground. So the Lord says, the Lord, so the Lord also put him to death. Look at verse 10. And the thing he did... And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, the Lord killed him also. Now, again, the Bible doesn't say the Lord's like, hey, you made me mad, toast. He didn't say that. But the thing was so wicked, we're not sure exactly what he did, but we know he died. We know Ur died, and we know that Onan died. Okay? Now, before we move on, guys... Let's see some of Onan's characteristics, okay? You go like what? Well, first of all, one of the characteristics that Onan possessed was disobedience. Disobedience. He objected to dad. No, dad says, son, you need to do this. This is our culture. This is the law. This is what you have to do. You need to raise up a son. Uh, Tamar's waiting, you know. Your brother's dead, and he goes, 
We don't want to. Another characteristic, guys, that we see is basically he was selfish. Selfish. That's one that we struggle with, isn't it? Selfishness. Why? Because he says, I don't want to raise up an offspring. I want what's mine. My older brother's dead. That means I'm next in line. So whatever dad has, I'm going to get. I'm going to get. You go, what's another characteristic? No responsibility, guys. No responsibility. Why? Because he he wanted sexual gratification with no responsibility. The Bible says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, let's, let, let's bring this home for a second. What can we learn? What can we learn? Disobedience to the Lord. I think a lot of us struggle with that. He's done so much for us. He's so gracious and so loving. And he just asks us to be obedient, not as a means of salvation. Amen? He doesn't say, in order for you to be saved, Jerry, you need to obey. He doesn't say that. He says, you are saved. Now, if you love me, will you obey? Alex, if you love me, will you obey? And you go, man, I love you, Lord. I'll obey. But we can see that that there's some disobedience. We also see that there's some selfishness in life. Selfishness. And that's something that every, I think every believer struggles with, right? We struggle with selfishness. It's about me. I don't, what about me? We, when it comes to selfishness, we sort of tend to take God out of the equation. In other words, our God will fight for us. Our God will be with us. Our God's going to walk with us. He's going to give us what we need. He's going to bless us. But somehow it's the me factor. It's me, 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 me. Me. How do we get selfish out of our lives? How do we? Oh, I see. We need more of Jesus. Because when I'm filled with Jesus, I tend to be less selfish. Because the word of God tells me that I need to look others, I need to esteem others higher than myself. That's what God says. And if I'm going to be obedient to God, then I need to esteem others higher than myself. I need to be sensitive to his spirit. More Jesus means more sensitive to his Holy Spirit. So I'm at the grocery store and I'm going, you know what? I'm sensitive to his Holy Spirit. Maybe I need to, maybe, maybe I need to buy groceries for some. Maybe I need, Lord, what do you have for me? Or maybe God puts it in your heart to give money to somebody when you know, you know, no, I don't want to give money to somebody because they're just going to use it in alcohol. But the Lord's like, man, listen, they need it for money. And you go, okay, but it's my last 20 bucks. It's my last 20 bucks, it's my life. If I give my 20 bucks away, I won't be able to eat tomorrow. I won't have lunch. I mean, God says, no, I want you to do this. One or two things happen. Joe, one or two things happen. Either you get blessed, all of a sudden that 20 bucks, I'm just, <laughs> you go home and, and somebody sends you a check for 100 bucks. You're like, oh, look at this. Yeah, praise the Lord. So you're all excited. Has that ever happened to you? And it happened to anybody? Yeah. Or you don't eat lunch the next day, and that's okay. It's okay. Because you were obedient to God. 
and what he sees, he'll reward you. We want instant gratification. Well, God, if I give $20, I want you to give me 100 right now. That's not how God works. God says, listen, you need to give and then let him be, then just, let him, just, let him, just let him bless you. Just let him bless you. And sometimes the blessing comes with peace in your home and not more money coming in. Sometimes the blessing is good health. Sometimes the blessing is, man, that COVID is not going to come around. We'll give him the one-two punch, man, because God is with I mean, you understand. So we give and we go, God, whatever you want to bless me with, bless me. And so that's what we got to look for. So what happens next? What happens next, guys? Well, look at verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, okay, two boys, done. So Judah says to Tamar's daughter-in-law, um, sweetie, remain a widow in your father's house till my son, Shelah, is grown. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in his father. Isn't he so subtle? He's like, listen, my little boy's too young right now. Sweetie, go back into your father's house until he's big enough. Dude, I don't know if she's killing your brothers or what, but, right? He doesn't know. You know what he knows? He lost two boys. He's only got one left. I, come on. I think I'd be the same way. I think I'd be like, ugh. Man, what's she doing? She's feeding him poisonous mushrooms. I don't know what she's doing. You know, I mean, she's, she's giving him some, something's happening to them. Two deaths, guys, seem to discourage dad from pursuing another partner for Tamar. But you need to understand culturally, okay? This put Tamar in a desperate situation. See, her livelihood would have depended on her husband's sons. So for him to say, go home and wait, she had no choice. But if, she's not, if she doesn't have any boys, then her livelihood would be threatened. Why? Well, you go, well, dad's going to take care of her. No, dad's going to get older. He's going to, he's not, you, you understand. It's not like today where you go, okay, well, I've, I've set a little side away from you, and you can have my inheritance and things like that. This is, this is all. So, so she goes, okay, okay, okay. Yet on the other hand, dad is totally freaking out, okay? Not all three sons to Tamar. So he comes with a solution. You know, Sheila is um, too young right now. Go back to your father's house until he's of age. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. None of this unfair dealings with Tamar is her fault. You guys understand that? It was not her fault. The Bible said the Lord killed them, not Tamar. She wasn't, she wasn't like beating them over the head. You know what I'm saying? So she's just, she's just, she's, she's part of the narrative. She's part of the story. But none of this is her fault. Okay? The blame belonged to Judah's sons. You guys with me? So what does she do? She goes back home, and now we call her the waiting widow. The waiting widow. She's got to wait. She's got to wait. How long? I don't know how old uh, Shayla is. I don't know. Could it be 16? Could it be 15? You know, could it be 5, 6, 7, 10 years? I don't know, but nonetheless, she's at home, okay? Because in verse 12, it says, Now the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted. 
And he went up to the sheep shears in Timnah, and he and his friend, Hira, the Adullamite. So guess what? Judah's wife dies during this time. Just for a second, put yourself in Judah's sandals. Two boys are dead. Not sure how, what they were into. They're messed up. And now his wife dies. Whew, that's a tough one to take. It's a tough one to take. Think about it for a second, guys. Put on your thinking caps, okay? This was Judah. This was part of the covenant family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is the boys. You guys with me? And we often think, oh, well, if they're part of the covenant family, nothing bad should happen to them. But real life happens. And so what I want to pull out of this in the application, guys, is that, is that sometimes as believers, sometimes as Christians, real life happens. But we have to stand strong in the faith. Because what our... our what our sufferings are designed to do and what the enemy uses them for are two different things. Our sufferings are designed to draw us closer to God. But the enemy wants us to draw us away from God. Oh, you suffer. Oh, God doesn't love you. Why would he allow you to go through that? I thought you were a Christian. And he whispers all of this in your ear. And so we slowly begin to walk away from the Lord. But sufferings, if you'll read the Old New Testament, they're designed for us to run to God. Say, God, please, I'm hurting right now. I mean, guys, just look at the Psalms. Look at David. David's like, God, when? I'm really hurting right now. Please deliver me from my enemies are rising up against me. They're, oh, and that's what I love about God's word. It's real life. You see, people will say, no, oh, that's a bunch of fairy tales. That's a, that's a God. Men wrote that. How? No, no. Because if I was writing this, I wouldn't put anything sad in here. I wouldn't put anything. Well, this person died and this person and, you know, I, I'd put all rainbows and butterflies. Man, it's the happiest book on earth. But this is real life. This is real life. And so time goes by, right? And you could say it like this. Like the sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Time has gone by. Shayla's grown up. And yet Judah's nowhere to be found. Verse 12. Now, in the process of time, right? Judah's wife dies. And she's comforted that he's, he's just living life, right? So he goes up to the sheep shears in Timnah. He and a friend, his friend, Hira the Adulamite. Look at verse 13. And it was told to Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garment, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself and sat at the open place on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him as a wife, given to her as a wife. And Judah saw her and thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. And then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And so she said, well, what will you give me 
that you may come in to me. And he said, I will send you a young goat from the flock. So she said, well, will you give me a pledge till you send it? You're going, what? Judah sees a hidden Tamar and doesn't know it's a, it's her. She's covered. Okay, she's taken off her widow's garment culturally. that she, Everybody knew she was a widow. She took that off. She put on. All he could see was her eyes. So he's walking. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, hey, my wife is dead. Hmm, I wonder. How much? How much if we were to come together? Okay, this teaching is a little PG, so you got to be careful. Okay, it's a little PG. Uh, how much, right? That's what he says. Now, did you guys see something in here that just should have jumped out at you? You go, what's that? Tamar is being deceitful. She's, she's, she's sort of deceiving Judah a little bit. You see, do you guys see that? Now, you guys put on your thinking caps? You guys with me? This is going to blow your mind, okay? I want you to look at verse 17. What does it say? I will send you a young, help me out, what does it say? Goat, okay? Now, when we read that, we're like, okay. The, dude, the dude's got the, you know what? I don't know much a young goat, you know? But if you recall, Jacob, what did he do? He deceived Isaac. Do you remember how? Remember, Jacob dons on the clothing of Esau and uses the skin of a goat in his deception. Right? And we read, guys, in Genesis 27, 23, make a note, that Isaac does not recognize, and I'm using air quotes, recognize Jacob. doesn't recognize Come here, boy, oh, you must be Esau. He doesn't recognize, okay? But he uses the skin of a goat. You go, okay. Later on, we read that the ten sons of Jacob actually deceive dad. They deceive him with the coats of Joseph stained with the blood of a goat. And we read in Genesis 37, verse 32, he was asked to examine, recognize the coat. Dad, do you recognize this coat? Same word. Same word in Hebrew. Do you recognize the coat? He didn't. That was my boy. That was my boy. And now we read that Tamar deceives Judah. Tamar takes the pledge of Judah's seal, cord, and staff, and has promised a goat as payment. We're going to see that Joe, Judah, guys, recognizes, same word in Hebrew, that these are the items of his pledge. You go, what's the significance? I don't know, but I know he used goats, and I know they're deceiving. It's very interesting. So what does he do? He says, listen, when I get home, I'm going to send you a goat. And she says, Mom, so you forgot your wallet? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I forgot my wallet. He says, well, you know what I'm going to need? I'm going to need your credit card and a driver's license so I know that you're going to pay me. That's literally what she's saying. Why? Because she says, I'm going to need a pledge until you send it. Okay? So you don't have the money? Okay. But I'm going to need 
I'm going to need this. And notice verse 18. Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? Your signet, your cord, and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her, and he went into her, and she conceived by him. First time. The only one time. One time. So what does she ask for? She asked for a signet ring, a seal, a cord, which was a bracelet, and the staff, which was a rod. These are the three things. Okay? You don't have the goat. Well, let me hold on to these until you send me a goat. It's kind of how they did it, right? You don't have the money. Well, then let me have your driver's license. Let me have a credit card. I won't put anything on it, and I'll hold it until you can pay for it. It's kind of how we do. It's kind of how we do, right? A hotel room. We give them a credit card. Hold on to that room. It's a reservation. We hold on to that, and then we can decide how we're going to pay when we get there, after we spend the night or whatever you want to do. So this is kind of what's going on, right? Now, guys, a signet ring, a cord, and a staff, they were, they were indications of three things. You go, what's that? If you're taking note, they would tell you, where did you come from, who you are, and where are you going? Okay? So everything in the Bible has a meaning. Where, where, where did you come from, uh, who you are, and where are you going? Okay? So she asked for these three things. Very special. Now, something really cool that popped out, right? God looks at us in the year 2020, and he also gives us the Holy Spirit as a pledge or a guarantee. He says, I'm going to come and die on the cross for you, Amanda. And so you know that it's, that it's real. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as a pledge, as a guarantee that you're saved. As a matter of fact, check it, check this out. Jot this down. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. It reads like this. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Everybody goes, amen. That's where you got saved. That's where you got saved. The gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who was a guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Guess what? You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's your guarantee. Pastor, how do I know I'm saved? You've got the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You're saved. That's the guarantee. God, I want a guarantee. Here's my Holy Spirit. How do you know they have the Holy Spirit? Well, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is? Love. Love. The people that you used to want to bop in the nose, now you want to hug. That's how you know you have love. The people that used to irk you, oh, and it's God's Holy Spirit. If you ever get a chance, listen to Pastor Self's testimony, because night and day change. It's the Holy Spirit, the seal. It's, it's, it's a change. You see, Pastor Sof didn't one day go, you know, I need to change. I don't like who I am. God got a hold of his heart and began to change him from the inside out. And, and, and listen, Pastor Sof is the strongest man I know. No doubt. I mean, but he's got the most tender heart. If you talk to him about the Lord, I, you just see it. 
And it's kind of scary when the strongest man you know starts to cry. You're like, he's so sensitive. That's God. You guys see what I'm saying? That's, that's, what's, that's, that's how we are. Because we have, we have his pledge. We have his pledge. So let me give you some encouragement. If you're making your way through the world, it's tough, it's tough right? It's tough today. It's, it's tough out there. I'm praying for you guys. It's tough out there. We got three teenagers right here. Three teenagers. Joe, we're almost at the finish line. Okay? But it's tough for them. They just they're just starting. Yeah, pray for them. Yeah, pray for them. Our little ones. Jasper. We need to pray for them. But as we go through the world, here's some encouragement. Let us remember, guys, who we are. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. We got to remember who we are. When God looks at us, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees Jesus. How are you going to stand before a holy God? It has to be Jesus. That's who you are. Number two, where are we going? Where are we going? Guys, our citizenship is in heaven. Remember, we're just passing through. Do you understand? We're just passing through. I want to wake up tomorrow and remember that this world is not my home. And the legislature's doing this, and this person's doing this, and our governor's doing this, and our president this, and they're fighting all over the place, and they got out crazy stuff. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. Well, you should get so... I'm not going to get upset anymore. I'm just passing through. My citizenship is in heaven. That's where I live. That's where I live. Number three, let me give you some encouragement. Things are tough right now. Remember, you have help as you walk through this world because the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the paracletos. He comes alongside you and he says, okay, come on. I got you. I got you. I got you. What goes on, it says, and so she arose, went her way. Remember, this is Tamar. She's pregnant. She laid aside her veil. She put on her garments of widowhood. And Judah sent a young goat by the hand of her friend, the Adulamite, to receive the pledge uh, from the woman's hand, but he didn't find her. So at least Judah did, right? He's like, okay, I need to go ahead and make a payment, okay? And he did that. And so he asked the man of the place, he goes, hey, um, by the way, where is that harlot that was uh, openly by the roadside? And they said, there is no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said, there is no harlot in this place. So notice what Judah says in verse 23, guys. Then Judah said, well, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent the young goat, and you have not found her. In other words, okay, <laughs> all right, I did my part. So in the process of time, guys, you know, Tamar goes home. And Judah resumes his life. Look at verse 24. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Whoa. Can you imagine? 
the dude is on fire. He's, <laughs> he's just, but I wonder, you know, didn't, doesn't your mind ever run like, okay, so like, how did he know? I mean, well, there were gossips back then, obviously, but I guess today you could say, well, all of a sudden, man, you know what? Tamar posted on Facebook, she's pregnant. I mean, that's the equivalent, right? And, and, and so it's like, hey, I mean, Judah doesn't have Facebook because he's old. But nonetheless, somebody said, look at this. Did you know? This is Tamar. This is, this is, this is Onan's, uh, this is Earth's wife. She's, she's praying. She played the harlot. Check it out. Well, what do the comments say? Now, don't look at me that way. Y'all read the comments. I know you do. And those of you who have to read the comments. And notice what her dad says. Are you serious? Bring her out. And let her be burned. Guys, in the patriarchal times, the father seemed to have possessed the power of life and death over the members of their families. And the crime of adultery was... I mean, it was punished in many places by burning. In other words, he had the authority. Bring her out. Light the match. So when she brought out, when she was brought out, she went to her father-in-law saying, um, hold on, before you burn me, by the man whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, please determine whose these are, the signet, the cord, and the staff. What, what word came to your mind? Burn, right? She, he wanted, well, that, that was just, but think about it, right? You need to burn her. But she comes out, she goes, well, whose are these? And, and oh, burn, right? Call the hospital, call the burn unit. This is good, why? Because Judah acknowledged and said, oh, those are mine. And she, he said this, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Shayla, my, my son. And he never knew her again. Think about it. Judah is busted, can't be trusted. Right here, he was busted, man. Never would have thought. Now, now think about this. He was wrong on two counts. You go, what were they? Number one, if you're taking note, refusing to give Tamar his son for a husband. But I understand that. I don't want the dude to die, but nonetheless, he should have done what was right. Guys, there's a fine line in our lives where we need to trust the Lord, even if it doesn't seem right. Even if we can't see, we got to trust. God is sovereign. He knows all of our lives. He has it all. And he, we, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. The second thing that was wrong is he was committing adultery with her. And Judah says, she is more righteous than I. Judah knows the guilty party. He's a guilty party, and he confesses. Something you can jot down really quick, just a good note. I think this is what believers are supposed to do. You go, what's that? Guys, when we get convicted, when we get busted, when we, instead of running from our sin or trying to hide it, or let me tell you why, we need to, we need to confess it to the Lord. And let me take it a step further. When God convicts us is when we should confess it, not when we get busted. 
Because then I'm just sorry I got caught. I'm just sorry I got caught, man. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that, man. Well, how long have you been cheating on your wife? Well, about three years, but no. The moment, oh, Lord, forgive me. I am so sorry. No. No. Let me confess it, Lord, that's sin to you. So what happens next, guys? We're, we're, we're getting close. Trust me. Last verses. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that she, she put out a hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. Then it happened as he drew his hand back that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, Hey, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterwards, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zera. Okay? So you have, you have twin boys, one named Perez and the other Zera. Now, we can go through all of the twins. You guys know all about that. The younger were served, the older. I mean, think about that. Jacob and Esau. Jacob, Esau came out first, but Jacob ruled. I mean, we can go through all of that. And here's my point. Perez, right, is going to be in the lineage, you know, through Jesus, we're going to see. So, interesting. Interesting. The problem is, is that it stops right here. That's it. So you go, well, Ben, what did we learn besides a lot of crazy stuff? Well, okay, as we close, remember this. Tamar. Tamar. Although she deceived her father-in-law, she's mentioned, guys, in the lineage of Jesus. She's a Gentile woman. Think about this, guys. Tamar and Judah bore twin boys. We know what, who were they. They were Perez and Zerah. Ironically, out of Perez's line, both King David and later Jesus Christ, the Messiah, were born. So she is great, 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 great grandmother. Through Perez. We know that we can learn this, that Tamar was treated unfairly by her father-in-law. We know that. You go, well, Ben, what's the lesson that we can learn? Okay, you ready? Let me give you two points and we'll close. Number one, the story of Judah and Tamar magnifies the faith of Joseph. So the question is, do I want to be a Judah or do I want to be a Joseph? See, because all of a sudden, Joseph is going, oh, wow. When we see him next week, man, I, I want to be a Jew. I want to walk by faith. Number two, the story of Judah and Tamar, guys, it magnifies the grace of God. Because sometimes I act like a Judah. Sometimes I feel like I'm a Tamar. Sometimes I feel I can be deceitful, and sometimes, but all I know is that I'm surrounded and covered by God's grace. And I see that. And it's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. Because if we're honest, we're all Judas. We're all disobedient. We're all ends, if you will. We've all played. And yet God says, I love you. Please don't do that. 
I want you to come home. I want you to come home. I love this story because it gives me hope. If God can save a Judah, a Joseph, a Joe, an Adam, a Ben, he can save anyone. And that's what we want to take away tonight. God's salvation. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. We thank you and we love you so much. Father, we never want to leave a service without giving an an opportunity to surrender your people's life to Jesus. And so maybe some of you are watching at home. Before you click off, before you get busy on what you got to do tomorrow, maybe, maybe the Lord's speaking to you. Maybe he brought you here today and, 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 and you're far from him right now. And, and, and throughout the message, you were, the Lord was, was knocking on your heart and, and you're going, man, I can relate to some of that stuff. But to be honest with you, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. But I believe in him and I want to surrender my life to him once again. I want to follow God. I know that time is short. I can see the world is falling and crumbling and I am so far from him. But tonight... I want you to know if you feel that way, you're also one decision away from coming back to him. And I've said it a thousand times, God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you, and he's opening his arms right now, and he's saying, if you'll surrender. And you go, Pastor, how? Well, those of you watching, those of you in this room, maybe you're saying, I want to come back to Jesus. I want to come back to him. I want to surrender completely to him. What do I have to do? In a minute, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I surrender my life to God. I want, I want Jesus back in my life. I want to repent of my sins, and I'm going to follow him. I know I want to be in heaven forever. And if you're watching, all you have to do is just bow your head right now and just, just, just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I've walked away from you, and I need you tonight. I believe in you. And I believe that I am a sinner and I, I, I need you. I believe that you died, God, for me. And I believe that you rose again on the third day and are seated at the right hand of the Father. And so I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me. I'm asking you to be my God tonight, to be my Lord, to be my Savior, Lord, to be my friend. And I choose tonight, Lord, to follow you for forever. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. If you prayed it in here, please don't leave without, without saying, Pastor, I prayed, because we want to give you a Bible. We want to give you a Bible, a guide. We just want to walk with you through that. If you prayed this, will you just click on the, on the comment, say, I gave my life to Jesus. We just, want to, we just want to rejoice with you. just want to rejoice with you. You can easily do that. Or... You can just email us at calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Say, I gave my love to you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. 
Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.